Hi, I'm Rosie, and you're listening to another episode of Taste Vampire, a podcast where I interview my friends and also people cooler than me about the art that they make and the art that inspires them. Um, And then I wrap it up into a fairly digestible little package and put it up on the internet for all of you good people. Once again, you're very welcome. Uh, This week's episode is episode 39. I interviewed my friend Eric Trude. You may know him from his project Stress Orphan or possibly some of his other projects as well. We'll touch on all of that in the interview. Um, Eric's pretty great. It's pretty funny. In addition to my sort of tacit encouragement of you checking out the music, you should also check out the fact that he's selling hot sauce that he made himself. Um, So I might link to that in the show notes if I remember. Um, this interview was taped while I was subjected to watching football while in Baltimore a week ago, um, so there's some, um, drunk football-related interruptions, um, but I think it probably, probably adds to the general character of the interview, um, and yeah, I think that's about it, so without further ado, let's jump right in. Um, I'm Eric Trude. Um, I do Stress Orphan, uh, the Red Army Ensemble, uh, and the Bloody Flux. Not even going to shout out potential rape victim right uh, No, it's not, <laughs> not, not, until, not, not until the uh, tape drops. The tape, right. tape drops on a shout it out. So I never talked about Red Army until that tape came out. That's fair, that's fair. I'm from Northern Virginia, from Herndon, uh, Herndon, Virginia, it's, uh, about, like, 30, 45 minutes, like, southwest of, uh, D.C. Okay. So does that count as D.C. suburbs or not quite? I, it's the D.C. suburbs, and then I have, I had a rule when I was living there that if I had to, if I traveled more than two hours away from there, I was just, I was from D.C., because it's one of those things, like, D.C. not right. being incorporated in any state. Makes the suburbs really confusing. Right, that's what I was wondering. Like, did if it was like round up to DC or not? Yeah, that's that's what it's like. That's the closest. It's the closest thing, and it's definitely the suburbs. All right, so we'll come back around to that because I've got lots to say about DC. But uh, so, when you were growing up, did your parents listen to music that was in any way influential to you? Like, are your parents musical people? At um, all? my mom's not really. She. Uh, she like she has like five bands, not even five bands, like five musicians that she thinks are cool that she like liked in the eighties, and that's like her entire musical taste. It's basically anyone that wrote music or was a part of the Georgia Satellites. Okay. She listens to all their offshoot bands, but my dad is a big, big music dude. He started playing guitar in the eighties. He was a big record collector in the seventies. Him and his brother were when they were kids. Um, and that's, my dad got me doing music when I was really, really, really young. Um, he's always playing music, and a lot of the stuff that he likes I really couldn't give a fuck about. Like, he loves power pop, and I don't like power pop. But there's there's enduring stuff, like, we both have a real mutual love for, like, Frank Zappa. Um, and, 
handful of other bands, Bruce Springsteen, that kind of thing. So, like, your dad got you into doing music when you were a little kid. Does that mean making music? Um, he So, when I was, like, three years old... He tells the story like he's like a super old man that like I was when I was three I was in the car and he had made a mixtape that had a Pearl Jam song at the beginning and a Pearl Jam song at the end and one day we had to we went on like an hour drive somewhere and the mixtape went through to completion and I recognized that the band at the end was the same as the band at the start when I was like still in like a car seat and he thought that was that must have meant that I had a great ear for music so the following year he started. In piano lessons, so I started learning my first instrument when I was four years old. That's insane. So, like, I mean, usually it's not that early. It sort of tears me on where I want to go with questions. But so, when you're taking piano lessons when you're a four year old, did that feel? I mean, I can't even like imagine having like that many sort of coherent memories from that time period. But like, did it? How long did you take piano for? Is it uh, something you so I did. With? So I did two years of these like group little kid piano lessons. Uh, with a really great jazz pianist, this woman named Laura, Laura Ann Turner. And then she left the studio where they did these group lessons, but was started freelancing as a private teacher. And she actually lived fairly close to a house that my parents moved to um, around the time those group lessons ended. So we just started doing private lessons, and I did private lessons until I was 13 on piano. Okay. I guess at what point, like, I mean, at some point you started elementary school, was there, like, sort of a point where you started listening to music at first that wasn't in any way driven by your parents or your piano teacher, like, some sort of branching off point where you started Um, liking stuff of your own? That would be probably around, like... It was really early, because my dad got me into buying records. I mean, my dad has thousands and thousands of CDs, just like half a closet full of milk crates of vinyl. Yeah, mine too. Crazy amounts of he's out of so much music. So I like always grew up seeing that just like anytime I'd go like to my dad's like office, it would just be big walls of CDs. Um, so I got my first CD, which was which was influenced by my dad. I got my first CD I bought with like allowance when I was like five, it was the Smashing Pumpkins Bullet with Butterfly Wings single. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was a there was a lot of like parent influence stuff, so like Nirvana, that kind of thing. Um, so your dad was into that stuff, or it just sort of yeah. My dad, my dad had like he liked some Smashing Pumpkin stuff. He didn't love it, um, but he would always play it on the radio. And that I think actually might have been more that I took a shine to it that I heard it on the radio and really liked it. But like Nirvana, my dad had all the Nirvana records. Well, he always thought Bleach was stupid, so he didn't have Bleach. So I, when I wanted Bleach, I had to go buy Bleach myself. But he had Nevermind and In Utero. Um, and he had like he had pretty hate machine in the downward spiral by nine inch nails. So I also like I got into that arguably way too early to be listening to <laughs> the downward spiral. Um, and then there was like like sports and like extreme sports video games always had those like punk rock soundtracks. Sure. And that's I had a neighbor who had all, who had like I didn't really have much of like a gaming situation when I was a kid, but my neighbor had it and he had like Tony Hawk. So when I was like seven or eight, then I started listening to like Rage Against the Machine and like they had like Dead Kennedys on those things and I got into um, and like Green Day. So I got into that kind of stuff. And then that really quickly jumped to metal, which my dad hates. 
I mean, he likes old... How come your dad hates metal? He liked, way back in the day when he was a kid, he loved uh, Sabbath, he loved Alice Cooper, um, early priest, real early priest stuff. So there was definitely, he likes that, like, real old, where it's just, like, blues rock with, like, the amps crank, that kind of stuff. He loves that shit, but he, uh, he got into punk when punk hit. He, you know, he was, like, living in, like, the mountains, and he, and he, like, got, never mind the bollocks, and just, like, that, like, totally changed him, so then, like, punk and new wave... Um, so that's just sort of where he went. Yeah, and then his, like, so that so that's where he went for, like, harder rocking things, and then, and then that made his tastes in, like, bluesier rock stuff, like Black Sabbath, kind of fade down a bit. So that's when he also got into Bruce Springsteen really big, kind of as, like, an alternative to the kind of music that, like, Sabbath used to make. And then, you know, from there, metal obviously, like hit, like, thrash and hair metal and stuff, and he just, it was just beyond him at that point, and he never, never liked any of it, so, like, the first metal I really got into, I mean, my dad, um, I got into Maiden, um, and the Maiden, and then I listened to, like, 90s punk rap metal crap that would, you know, show up in video yeah, games, and my dad hated that I liked this band, so then he... Like, got me into Black Sabbath. He bought me, like, an Ozzy Years Best Of for Black Sabbath when I was a kid. I also... He hates Ozzy's solo career. And I really like Crazy Train when I was in, like, the third grade. And he was really... He was like... He was like, if you're going to listen to this, you should listen to the fucking good version. Um, yeah, but at, so at a certain point... At a certain point, then I kind of, like, pulled away from it. Um... um like, from what he likes. In a fun twist, these days, I'm really regressing to the same stuff my dad likes. Like, I'm way more into, like, Frank Zappa. I mean, I've always been into Frank Zappa, but I'm getting into, like, more and more every day. Um, and uh, there's this band, Marah, my dad and I both really Wait, like. Wait, Marah from Philly? Yeah, Marah from Philly. Yeah, yeah, my mom's so into that. <laughs> yeah, I was I was at my parents' house. They were out of town. Like, they they're getting, they're gearing up to retire and they were getting retirement shit ready so they were out of the house for forever and I went down to Virginia and I was just like going through the basement because my dad used to burn my mom's CDs for her car but I have a record from a band that was one of those Georgia Satellites offshoot bands that she liked right. and then he would just tag a bunch of songs from other bands that he thought were cool in an attempt to get her to like it yeah and one of them so there's a CD that I remember my mom listening to all the time and I, was, and I hadn't heard it in like a decade and I was like oh this would be fun to listen to and tagged on the end was Mara's Kids in Philly yes and and I, so I threw it in the car and I was like, oh, these Terry Anderson songs are fun. And then I heard Kids in Philly and I was like, wait, this is actually really fucking tight. And that was just like a couple months ago. And I like, like, I just bought like the vinyl reissue that my dad and I went down to Virginia and saw, saw them playing I went and Jam saw and Java. with my mom a couple years ago at Teen Angel. They, I saw their full band, their first full band reunion show with the two brothers. They yeah. did it in a cafe, like a coffee shop by my house, like right, right by where I went to high school. They like did like a surprise show, whole band, drums, guitars, whole thing, playing all the old songs. It was really fucking good. Yeah, two like Marah side notes, and we can continue. First of all, like when I moved to England, because I lived in England in eighth and ninth grade, the um, that Marah flowed away with 
well, it's a long song title. Yeah. Album had just come out, which was what they wrote when they lived in London for a year, and it's all about how, like, fucking shitty England is as a place to be when, like, you're, like, from the U.S., because it really is, kind of, in, like, this, like, isolating, shitty way. And the album had just came out, and I, like, remember hearing that one Float Away song on XBN, like, the week because my parents listened to XBN is like a, a the Pens radio station in Philly. My parents listened to it all the time. And yeah, when we moved to England, I like bought that CD on the internet and got it like mailed to me there. And I used to listen to it like all of the time, and it was like totally on the nose. But then, yeah, I went and saw them with my mom. It was like, bef- like the I guess it was probably like five or six years ago. But it was like you know still them as they they were or whatever but it was like all these old people at the show and I got like real drunk with my mom and was like trying to get rowdy because I actually think they're like a great band and was like really into it and was like really upset by the like oldness of everybody at the show because like they're not that old you know but they no. but the reason why is my dad uh, told me when I was like hey this band I was like this record burn from Mirage it was really good because I knew my dad loved Mirage and listen to him because I didn't, you know, for so long was really not interested in what my dad liked. Like, yeah. I knew that he would, like, buy every, like, Bruce Springsteen issue that came out, and it was like, whatever, Dad, but it was like, Mariah Records really cool. And he was telling me that, because, like, so they did, like, their first record, and then Steve Earle liked them, and then Steve Earle put out Kids in Philly, and then Bruce Springsteen loved Kids in Philly, so Steve Earle and Bruce Springsteen, who are old fucking dudes, were the biggest thing hyping Marat. So the most, like, the people that were most into Marat are these fucking old dudes. Who so I was Steve Earle and Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, yeah so I was sense. like... I was, like, the old, uh, the youngest guy at this show by, yeah, like, 20 that, years. Yeah, me too, and I'm just, like, drunk, like, trying to dance, like, trying to, like, people are, like, not having it. <laughs> yeah, that was, everyone was, like, standing still. My dad is, like, a, my dad's a huge dweeb, and he, uh, he didn't have a car in town, and I was in a drink, so I didn't drive. So we just took a cab to the show, and then we took a cab back to his house afterwards so he got when we got there like 90 minutes before so my dad was convinced that Marah had in their hiatus of doing acoustic music become the biggest band in the world and it would be a packed house mm-hmm. and it really wasn't there was maybe you know 40 50 people there in like a 300 person yeah. club so we had to get there mad early so that we get in the front rows. So my dad got wasted. So my dad was like going to, my dad's like 55 <laughs> he's going harder than anyone else in the fucking <laughs> fucking spot he's like holding up beers and no, yelling out lyrics yeah and shit. i mean i like remember leaving the show with my mom and yelling about how no one was hype enough and she was like yelling with me and we're like walking through old city from this old person <laughs> venue just being like this is fucked like nobody's <laughs> hype enough <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah that, that okay okay we're up but uh, we're, we're dialing dialing it back to your teens
Sabbath and Judas Priest stands stand class, but then like beyond that, you know, I had like we had like a computer in the house, and you could just you could just Google. So I like thought these bands were tight, and then and that was back when uh, Headbangers Ball was on MTV Two, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would watch that at night when my parents had fallen asleep because they would fall asleep watching TV, and then I just walked out and be like, all right put that on and that was like I mean most of that was horse shit that like I didn't like then my like little bit of taste knew I was like nah this is dumb but they had like they had some like black metal and death metal bands on and like obviously I had no fucking idea that kind of music existed like they had like Nile and they had Immortal on at one point like um so by the time I was like 12 that was like all I was interested in was like Cannibal Corpse and Morbid Angel and uh, Immolation. I fucking loved Immolation when I was a kid. And then uh, um, my parents always made me go to summer camp. And I went to a summer camp that had this big fucking fat guy from Long Island who couldn't have been like the biggest, like a bigger, lamer, like metal nerd. And I had all these dumb little like Cannibal Corpse shirts and stuff. And he would see me wearing these shirts and like pull me aside out of activities to, like, <laughs> jam a new record. But he had kind of moved on from liking that stuff a while ago. So then he was huge into grindcore. So he... And he knew I was from Virginia, and the camp was in Virginia. So he got me hip to Pig Destroyer, because they, you know, they're from Sterling, yeah. Virginia, for the most part. So, like, you know, like, one year he, like, pulls me aside and has me listen to, like, Terrifier, right when it... Because it came out in the summer, like, right when it had come out... Um, I think it came out in the summer, I don't know, but he had Terrifier, and, like, Terrifier, and, like, Napalm Death, and all this stuff, like, if I was just sitting around looking bored, I guess he felt sorry for me, um, and he would have me listen to that, so by the time I had high school, then, like, I was uh, just obsessed with Grindcore, you know, I, like, every bit of money that I got, I'd spend on Grindcore records and Death Metal records, and that was, that was it for so long, so it was, like, my first, my first band was, like, a... Well, death metal band for a while. So pause it there. So like, wait a second. So we've come up to where you've stopped taking piano lessons. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So what? Made so when I was eight years old, um, so I was, I've been playing piano a lot, but piano wasn't like there was never. I didn't have any guide in it. She would show up with pieces. 
that would get exponentially harder over time, and we do music theory stuff and complex scales, but there was no, like, anything I was listening to, even if I listened to music that had piano, there was never a, like, I'm going to play that. No, so what I liked had nothing to do with the piano, and then she had this rule where if you didn't do 30 minutes a day of practicing, she wouldn't keep teaching you. My parents, instead of being like, let's just let them stop doing this, were like, no, you have to practice 30 minutes every day. So they just, like, piano got drilled into me in a way and with a consistency that just killed it for me. Oh, um, I mean, a hundred. I mean, I had piano lessons when I was a kid from, like, ages 5 to 10. Yeah. I, A, still suck at piano. <laughs> B, like, yeah, same deal. They just made it seem like homework in such exactly. a way that it was so, like, now I wish I had, like, like, taking it more seriously, because it actually is yeah. so translatable the, to so many other mu- things. The music theory fact. The fact that she trained me on music theory, that, yeah, li- that was one thing I liked at the time. Because I had, like, even though I didn't really understand it, I think I kind of knew that that's, like, universal. Right. Like, if I did anything else I wanted to do, that gives you, like, a framework to do what you want to do. Um, but yeah, the way she taught the actual playing of piano was just, was miserable. Yeah, this but, lady used to, like, if you played scales drums, she'd, like, Smack you on your hands. Oh, we with never, a book. never did that. Never, never did anything <laughs> corporal like that. Kind of Philly of her, but she just like like beat you on your hands. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so that's so bizarre and old world. Like uh, that that I don't. My parents wouldn't have stood for either. But you're hitting I don't a think fucking I, I don't kid. Think I even just... mentioned it to them because retarded. Like my parents wouldn't have. They were like such hippies. They wouldn't have been down at all. It's yeah. just like piano sucks. But then. <laughs> I had a friend when I was a kid, and when I was like eight, eight or nine, and I went over to his house, and his dad played guitar, and my dad played guitar, and I would like beat around his guitar sometimes, he had really expensive ones, he didn't like me doing that, I never really learned anything about it, but I was listening to, like, everything I listened to was dudes playing guitars, and I actually didn't know that bass existed, I don't know how that, like, got past me, but I wasn't aware <laughs> that bass was an instrument, I didn't understand, I just thought it was like effects pedals, or something. I knew effects pedals existed, <laughs> Bass existed as a weird order to figure things out in. But I was at my friend's house, and his dad had all these guitars, and his dad had a bass. And I was like, what's this big four-stringed guitar? And I really liked playing it. His dad didn't his dad didn't really play guitar that much anymore, and he didn't give a shit about the bass. So I'd fuck around with the bass, and I kept talking to my dad about it. Uh, and then one year for Christmas, he bought me like a beginner bass. And then, and then I, I took the bass plan because I knew, you know, I knew scales, I knew keys, I knew a lot of music theory. And then it was just a matter of like Trends learning just that, like a little yeah. bit of how you play the bass. And I really took off with that. I never really took bass lessons is another thing is I was like totally, for the most part, self-taught. And not to like jerk myself off, but I got really good at playing bass. Um, and by the I mean, so, I honestly kind of think, like, your point with the music theory, like, holds here. Like, I think, like, at a certain point, once you have sort of enough basic knowledge of how, like, things work. Yes, yeah, it becomes, it definitely becomes a lot easier to pick up stuff. Because then, like, in school, I went to a school where we had to do band. Um, Is this in high school? No, actually starting in elementary school. Damn. Uh, it was optional in middle school and high school, but we had to do band uh, in elementary school. We had to do band or strings, and I did saxophone, and that was another thing. I picked up saxophone really quickly, and I got into like higher levels of it just because 
you know, you they teach because it wasn't you know they knew you were going to sound like shit. You're nine, so they, well they weren't teaching you a lot of great fundamentals, but there was a lot of like this is a G, but like you can just show me how to finger it. I already conceptually understand a G. Right. So I took to that really fast. And I took to bass really fast, and I'm doing saxophone in like higher level bands, and I'm doing bass like crazy on my own. I'm like saving up and buying cool basses. I'm listening to a lot. Like I got into Primus just purely because I was a bass yeah, player. Yeah, and so by the time I'm like 13, it's like I'm playing these like two other instruments. I want to start taking saxophone lessons. I like I was about to join these guys from my backyard. Who literally lived in my backyard. Who ended up being like my best friend in the world. Um, who's actually does this amazing noise project. It's Moses, all caps, acronyms, fucking awesome. I did a split with him. His side is some of the best electronics I've ever heard in my life. Fucking so schizophrenic. But we were in a metal band in high school, and I met him around the time I stopped doing piano, and it was like, if I want to be in a metal band, and I want to be practicing bass like crazy, I'm going to be taking saxophone lessons, and in the band at school. It's like, why, why the fuck am I still taking piano lessons? Right. And conveniently, at that same time, uh... My teacher moved from Reston, Virginia, which is 10 minutes away from where I grew up, to Silver Spring, Maryland, which is like an hour and 15 minutes okay. drive, because you have to go all God, the way around the fucking city. These are so fucking insane to me, the fact that, like, Silver Spring and Reston both count as suburbs, but they're, like, yeah. almost two hours away from each other, some crazy shit. Which is funny, it actually, yeah, it, take, it can take you the exact like, amount of time to go from my parents' house to Baltimore, as it takes to go from my parents' house to another fucking suburb of D.C. Yeah. Um, but so she moved away, and it was like, alright, I'm not gonna get another teacher, I'm not really gonna play piano anymore, like, I got everything I needed to out of it, and then... For like so, for all of high school and the rest of middle school, it was just bass and saxophone, mostly bass. Fair so bit of saxophone too. You joined a band with your neighbors. What age? Like what uh, was your so first I was, project that wasn't school band related? Uh, well, technically, I had a friend who was a drummer in elementary and middle school. Uh, I think he's a film student now. I haven't talked to the kid in years, uh, and we dicked around a bit and we pretended that it was a band, but yeah. um, but we had a. But it, so I was, I would be 14 when I joined this band. Um, uh, you probably can still find it on MySpace page. We're called Dark Alliance. It's a yeah. terrible name. Uh, it was like Pop melodic. Pop that were in the show notes. <laughs> it's a melodic death metal, like like a Swedish like in flame, like early in flames kind of stuff. Um, and so it was me, and they initially like so it was me, and I played bass in the band, and then. My buddy Bob, who's a guy from Van Moses, uh, he played guitar, he played rhythm guitar, and this guy Dan, who is now, I think, part of the IMF, <laughs> he definitely lives in Israel, and I think he's in the IMF, um, yeah, he had a crazy turn, uh, him and Bob, he was 19 at the time, Bob was 18, I was 14, um, and he played lead guitar and did vocals, and then there was like a year and a half long struggle to find a drummer, of course. Um, and they always had me, they had me do keyboards for a while because they knew I played piano, but I was like, I'm better at bass. And, and then, and I had like an old friend from elementary school who knew how to play piano and we got him in the band. So we had this like five piece Swedish death metal style thing that went on for a couple of years. And then the lead singer left on his little quest that ended with him living in Israel. And, uh... 
and I started doing lead vocals, and then that sort of fell apart around the time that I was like 17 or 18. We recorded four songs. Yeah, we recorded four songs. We did two in a home studio, and then two at one of uh, their guitar teachers at like a pro studio. And then we had like written like two other songs. We did six songs in four years, so we weren't exactly prolific. But we played a lot of like. Seems about on point for our high school bands. Yeah, but we we practiced all the time and we played live a lot. So I got really like we there's a metal club that let local bands open. Yeah, I was gonna say. So you're playing live when you're in high school. DC is one of the few nice things that you could say about DC is it's incredible indulgence of all ages type shit. Four years we played in DC one time. Really? We did all of our playing out in Virginia. Really? Yeah, we played I mean we played in Fredericksburg, Virginia, like house shows and like Chantilly and stuff, but mostly where we played was there's this metal club in West Springfield, Virginia, uh, called Jacks. J A X X. I wanna say it's called Empire now. It has some stupid ass name. But they were a metal club. Like the owner was this old cokehead who thought metal was tight. So any band that would come around that weren't quite big enough to play, like a nine thirty club or Black Cat downtown, right. he was like, "Oh, we'll just fucking book you at Jacks." So then every metalhead in Virginia knew to go to Jacks. You know, it was it was always just like a, it was a million kids in high school with like their parents coming and picking them up. Right. Every show, um, so we opened for a lot of we opened for a lot of bigger like touring bands as like local openers at, at Jacks. But one time we played the Rock and Roll Hotel in Northeast at mm-hmm. a Battle of the Bands. Yes, sir. Um, and but that was it. We never never really played. Uh, we never Did played you in the city. S- spend time in DC when you were growing up. Like, were you going? I went to, to sh- metal bands that you wanted. I to went see to see shows at nine thirty when I was in high school a fair bit. Like. I saw, like, Megadeth, I saw, like, Children of Bodom, I saw Gojira, like, band, Pig Destroyers, I saw downtown when I was in high school, but, again, most of the metal bands that I was really into weren't big enough to play there, so they played Jack, so, like, I saw a shitload of awesome metal bands when I was in high school, like, Dying Fetus, Belphegor, all these fucking bands that I love, but I only ever really got to see them at Jack's, because that would be, like, you know, because, you know... A 9.30 club wants a certain number of butts in the fucking audience, so it's not really worth it to them to even open their doors. Yeah, I mean, like, like, I, like my whole... I mean, I'm very anti-DC entirely as a place. Um, but, but, like, my only experience of it was just thinking of, like, like, punk stuff in D.C., and there's tons of, like, little houses and, like, shitty places where there are all-ages punk shows in D.C., or at least there were. So that didn't... That's not but, something that really started hitting me until I was uh, out of high school. Like, one time I went to this house, uh, this house of the dugout, uh, to see this Australian band, The Down Going. It's, like, noise core band. Um, but... Other than that, it was always, it was something really special would have to get me into this city, because it was... Did you not like it either? I didn't really like, I I didn't really like it, it wasn't really my vibe, and there was nothing like, you know, it was like I was 16 or some shit in D.C., there's nothing for me. Like, at the time, you know, there's like no weed legalization, but I don't... 
totally legal in DC? Is yeah, that a real I actually thing? like I going to. I like to go just to buy some there. I don't know like, if you can uh, if they have stores open or anything because Congress controls the rules. It's definitely not something. It's so long and not worth getting into. But it's basically you can smoke on the street and you won't go to jail. I mean, if it's going on the street, not go to jail in Philly, decriminalization. You no, 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 they won't give you a ticket. You don't either. I mean, I literally, I there's a police station two blocks away from my house. I no, 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 no. I mean, legal, legally, they can't. Okay, get, like, yes. they give you a ticket for for like, but if you're sitting in your car just smoking weed, no one can do anything about that. That's just, just that's a lot. Right, which sounds glorious. I just like, yeah, I heard it got legalized there and in my head I was like, I should go back to DC. I lived there for like nine months, like three or four years ago. In didn't even live in real DC. Perfect yeah. example of rounding up. Lived in Bethesda at my ex-boyfriend's parents' house um, and was like, I keep, like, thinking to myself that I should, like, go back, like, just to buy weed in a store, just to have they one they definitely positive but connotation of, you, like, going to these There things. are dudes now <laughs> that you can just text or find on Craigslist, and they'll just drive weed to your house. Like, it's it's like that. When I was living there, I kept trying to find dudes on Craigslist who would drive meth to my house, but <laughs> that didn't work out. Well, uh, you gotta take a little metro trip to special place to get <laughs> to get that but like when I so when I was a Seems kid like here all of the people were in Baltimore and they're like we'll drive to DC for purchases upward of $200 <laughs>
so like when you're a kid, like, you know, if I wanted to drink or smoke before a show, I needed to do somewhere where I'm not going to get fucked with. And I lived in a place with a lot of woods and a lot of weird dead end back roads. A so lot it was more really, no man's yeah, land. it was way easier for me to hop in a car with my buddies and go and smoke and drink or just relax or something. And then you could go to a show. So if you're doing a DC, you gotta do that and drive all the way to the fucking city or take the fucking metro. And you gotta go all the way back. Jack's is like a 20 minute drive. So we could do it on the fucking way. We knew, you know, we knew like back roads to get there, like 25 minutes. Like yeah. it was just, it was so it was much more fun. manageable and comfortable. Cause there's, I mean, there really is nothing for someone who's in high school to do in DC. Like, you can see a show, some shows, but you can't see them all. So it was always a special occasion. So it was like, okay, there's all these bands coming in from like Sweden and Finland that I've never seen, and they're all playing the 930 Club. I'll go to that. Megadeth. I Obviously, Megadeth isn't going to play some little club. I'll go see Megadeth. Love Megadeth. Anal Cunt, their 20th uh, anniversary tour with the original lineup. Fucking... So and that was they played in DC. Maybe. So that I went to DC. But even then, I had to like I was I was seventeen. It was an eighteen and up show, and I was like, just let me in to see the goddamn band, like you motherfucker. <laughs> so I just really I think Anal Cut is really funny, and <laughs> let's and I was like it, had, it was like a little bit of a premonition, like let's both be real. How many more times before someone important dies? So, art. <laughs> Which art. turns out was one more time. Let's keep keep moving it yeah, a yeah, little yeah. bit forward. So your band. Dark Alliance yeah. broke up around 17, 18. Did you go to college? Did you move out of Virginia to go to school I went somewhere? to music school for bass performance and composition at Susquehanna University in Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania, about 70 minutes drive north of Harrisburg. All right. Yeah, How off, long off the Susquehanna River. I was there for 18 months. Um, <laughs> I fucking hated that place. I hated the school. I hated the people that lived there. I hated the fucking town. I hated Pennsylvania's fucking laws, like the fucking alcohol laws. Yeah, it's tough. It's garbage. <laughs> and like, just everything. And then, and every time I would make, <laughs> and I would like make some friends, and then they'd all be like, "Fuck this," and they'd leave, but they had good grades, and I hated it so much. Like, my grades kind of sucked, so then I couldn't transfer anywhere. I just fucking, I drew, and I had like a scholarship so I had to play in like the orchestra on an upright bass which I fucking hate playing oh upright God. bass I'm a fucking electric bass player and I told them that when I came there and they're like yeah we do jazz band you'll be doing the electric bass don't worry I was like cool and then of course. I'm on upright bass in the orchestra and then they're like grooming me to do upright in the jazz band and I was like what is even fucking happening right now and it's and that thing you wanted like college always fucking is yeah and yeah so that and that so I just fucking I fell off that so hard and I went back to Virginia and then I was just in Virginia um, until uh, summer of 2014 I moved to Baltimore um, but in between you know moving back to Virginia and moving to Baltimore last summer or two summers ago or whatever. You continue to do stuff musically. Were you in? Oh. So I mean, so when I was in uh, Dark Alliance, uh, Dark Alliance really was like had like two strong years of us thinking that the band would go somewhere, 
And then two years of us wishing it was the first two years. Right. So those two years, I met some guys, uh, this guy Andy, who was in a lot of black metal bands. Uh, he's like Marks of the Masochist um, and Raw Hatred, and he ran this label, uh, Rusty Axe Records, uh, out of uh, his, his, his mom's house in Fairfax County. And uh, this guy Grant, who uh, played drums in this band, Grave Worm, and uh, did the solo black metal thing. Uh, fuck, I can't. Oh, Sermon of Foulness. That he had one album. Mm-hmm. That's kind of worth checking out. It's a, it's wacky. It's a DB black metal. I'll make but, you give me a list. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a list of all the crap I'm talking about here. But uh, and uh, they do this. Uh, like so, they did. They were like, kind of in a noise. Like the black metal label was really like underground black metal, so there was a lot of black noise stuff. He knew the guys in like Enbalulu Gugal. Is this you getting into noise right here, or is this the person? Yeah, basically. It was, well, no, it's not really because it happened sort of concurrently because there was that that was around like black metal that was so sketchy that like it's almost indiscernible from noise. Correct. Yeah. And like. You know, like the band Brobdingnagian um, is, is a good word. Is out of there. Uh, is like it's all part of that, and that is something that you know I've I've done work for them. Um, and but at the same time, I was in, I was getting into crazier and crazier grindcore. Like I got you know if you listen to Pig Destroyer and you're 14, by the time you're 15, you're probably going to listen to Gorefolk Nosebleed, and that's. You know, they have straight noise, like, they'll have, like, five-minute noise tracks on an album. They, and specifically, I got an album that was a remix album of, like, one of their old 10 inches, and that had fucking Marisbo on it, and Justin Broderick, and James Plotkin and shit. Mm-hmm. So that was, like, my first, like, what, like, I didn't even know what this shit was, and that was, like, noise. So between... We can do more yeah. of them. Um, so, but, no, we can't. And both burn out. Oh, shit. <laughs> Way to go, Luke. Um, <laughs> but so between those two, those two things really happened at like the same time. So then, and then I was getting into like all these, I discovered that there was this tiny scene of like crazy drum machine grindcore from Northern Virginia like 15, 20 years ago, like Enemy Soil, and then Enemy Soil had all these offshoots, like Jesus of Nazareth, that is so, fuck, I love them so much, that's like, almost like gabber noise, just like crazy pounding shit, and then they, when I was like 16, I discovered that they did a tape, or two tapes, under the name Exploding Meth Lab, that was pure noise, no beats, pure noise, I was in high school, I thought that name was the coolest fucking name in the yeah, universe, yes. I found one of the tapes for like five dollars on eBay, yeah, uh, it is dead, oh, uh, sorry, <laughs> that was why I was asking for a cigarette, um, and that, so that, uh, so I bought that tape on eBay when I was like, 16 and I had like a tape player attached to my stereo and that so that was like my first foray into noise and I kind of instantly knew that I really liked it um it wasn't until I was in college that I really got into it because I was doing black noise stuff but like black metal noise mix but right. at the time I wasn't doing the noise I was like playing the bass doing a guitar helping edit drums like right. I was doing the, I was on the black metal side the of black the black noise of the black structure noise. correct 
Yeah, and I wasn't, like, I wasn't even really aware that, like, power electronics existed. Like, I was really in the dark about anything noise-related, really. Um, so, and, so you, you didn't start stress-orphan until after you moved I back started stress-orphan, uh, I started stress-orphan, no, it wasn't, it was uh, between uh, years of college. So I completed my first year, and was fucking so miserable and I was doing regular ass music. I was being forced to do the lamest regular ass music. Right, you're playing the upright and I bass. Couldn't you want to have, know yourself? Yeah, I couldn't have yeah. wanted to do garbage more. Like I just wanted to make crap. And I had done a solo like grindcore band on the computer, and then that led. I did this really horrendous four track noise. Lewis <laughs> thinks it's good. I don't think that. Like I, I've shown it to people who think it's good. I think it's fucking embarrassing. It's, some, it's really dumb. Um, I you will not put it up, but I can send it to you personally to listen to if you wanted to. Okay. Um, I did send that. it to me if you don't want me to put it up because I have like a bad habit of like <laughs> putting up people's things. That's one of those things like that's that's one of those things that I want to like either when I quit or die. And they like if you know this is really narcissistic, but if they do like a like a retrospective, retrospective box set, yeah, then you can have. I mean, that? the name of it was psilocybin. Like it was that <laughs> fucking dumb. It was so stupid. It couldn't have been fucking dumber. And and the, the terrible thing is that the, like parallel to this, I did a real like a grindcore record that I'm really fucking proud of. And I did the stupidest fucking noise. It's like four tracks somehow caps out like forty minutes. It's just garbage. <laughs> so I did. So that was like the only solo like, Don't noise I had me. done. I won't be able to continue <laughs> myself. Um, and. Some yeah, some people have said it's good, but I think if you really sit down with it, you realize that it's like the hackiest crap. If you really sit down with it, you realize it's complete shit. Yeah, you realize that you realize that I was sixteen, making all the noise out of in amp effects on a combo like a amp or another like crate combo bass amp, like. And really just learning to use, like, the recording software I had, just, like, holding one mic up and just, like, hitting, like, a note and, like, putting on, like, the flange and be like, oh, that's really tight. Oh, yeah, pop yeah. on that sweet, But then, flange. conveniently, at the time when I was, like, 18, 19, when I was leaving my first year of college and hating music in general, um, Matt Bedke, scant, um, and a bunch of other bands. Yeah, it's it's an episode number. I forgot which one. You yeah, but you go, go back and you find Matt Becky yeah. on the list. You can <laughs> see the him talk. He had this house that he had gotten in Fairfax County, maybe 15 minutes from my parents' house, where he was doing all this noise shows. Crazy amount of noise shows. And I really got... Uh, he And I knew him... From the lab, from the black metal label, because he was friends with that with Andy, so we knew each other pretty well, not like super well. But then I came back into town. And I told him, and he was like, "Oh, you got to come by." And he was like selling me guitar pedals on the Mad Cheap. He was like really trying to like push me into making stuff like good, real fucking heavy noise. So that summer is when I did. Uh, uh, Scatman Crothers was the name of the first Dress Orphan releases. 
Uh, it was digital only. It was on Agoraphobic. Like the singer from Agoraphobic Nosebleed used to run a net label called uh, Grindcore Karaoke. It's where my first like five or six releases came out on. Um, so it came out on. That's where it came out. Uh, and it's a little goofier than like I really didn't know the direction I wanted to do. A lot of it's laptop based and like made with like digital drum machines and digital effects in a way that I'm kind of getting back into using now, but for a really long time was not part of I mean, sound. this is actually something I wanted to talk to you about is your sort of non-aversion to using digital stuff. I mean, so I know that there's this huge push to analog for so many people. Modular synths are really blowing up. But I've always, even when I'm using tabletop stuff, like, I will not use an analog delay. I don't, I'm not interested in it. I can't do what I want to do with that. There's so much that, like, what I want to do and what really interesting is, like, is interesting to me needs something digital. It needs either the level of, like, deeply minute control that only digital can provide or the kind of, like, so chaotic it feels as artificial as it is that also only digital can provide analog always feels too real like people say analog feels warm and like i get that but i hate that yeah you don't want the warmth you want no i want it to like i want it to like like i you know like i want shit to like really fucking bother people well i think that's interesting like this is some like shitty pop psychology type shit but, like, you coming from a metal background versus people coming from other sorts of backgrounds. Like, metal is not a genre that's opposed to, like, te- like increasing technical ability. Yeah, that, and that's, like, you know I, mean? I mean, there and there are people in metal that bitch about, like, like one thing that really got big right at this time that I started, like, metal was drum triggers. Mm-hmm. Where they put MIDI pads under where you hit the drum, so you hit a snare drum, and then, and then, all this other and shit well, then it goes. Off. Well, no, yeah. you hit a snare drum, and then it goes in the computer, and they just take a sample and have a very well crafted snare drum, like a perfect snare drum oh. sound. So, and that like so kick drums. When you hear modern metal, and the kick drums sound like fucking machine guns. Yes. Um, that's what's going on. That's, yeah, it's literally, it's not, the drum isn't even playing. Actually, there are some bands, some bigger bands, specifically Dragon Force is kind of legendary for this. The, the, I have a friend who used to fuck a bunch of them. <laughs> this is my only experience with them. I saw, I saw them once when I was 14. They were terrible. That's when she started fucking them. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. But uh, they hit the drummer in Dragon Force, his bass pedals are, like, when he plays live are about six inches back from the drum kit, and they just hit a pad <laughs> that plays... I mean, so he's hitting the notes, yeah. but it's quantized, so, he does, so there's no mistakes, and it plays a very perfect, ideal kick drum sound. And, like, so some people always hated that and bitched about it, and, like, you'd hear records of people, like, yeah, it didn't trigger anything. It's like, I don't give a shit. Like, if it sounds tight, who gives a fuck? Like... Okay, your drummer spent 18 years learning how to play okay. this super hard song perfectly, or your drummer spent two hours in the studio kind of fucking up and they made it sound perfect. Like, I liked drum machine music when I was 14. I'm not going to, like, well, also, bitch like, about it. I mean, I sort of, like, I mean, you, when we were hanging out the other night, you said your whole thing about CDs being, like, legit well, yeah. viable, like, as, like, a form of delivering music, but everybody hates it. But I think it's, like, it's really interesting to me because my sort of impulse is, like, like, towards all of that sort of analog stuff, but then when I think about it, I definitely do feel like it's just sort of 
Well, I mean, sort of an affectation. The know? fucking the CD thing makes me so fucking annoyed because you have these people like amazing fucking musicians. I know so many of them, and they'll sit around and craft like the perfect fucking sound. That's all they've ever fucking wanted, and it's. You know, it's got all the highs and all the lows, and it's the perfect structure of a fucking song. And then they put it on tape, or they put it on fucking vinyl. And those are fine, and the formats can be very cool as a delivery method to have something in your hand. Especially, like, I love a big blown-up album cover. Like, I, I love a 12-inch record, but... Uh, there's, there's no argument in terms, about, but, in terms about, like, artistic delivery. But you can't get... But, but literally... There's, human beings can hear 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. You lose a little bit, bit of that over time, but vinyl can't deliver that, and tapes can't really deliver that, and these formats are formats that sound shittier every single time, like, by a minute increment, but every single time you play it. If your favorite fucking record comes out on tape and you listen to that tape every oh, day, right, 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 in right. 10 years, it's, it's going to yeah. sound like shit. But, and now a CD, given CDs over time will just yeah, sometimes, they, well, if you scratch them, they skip, but you can, I have CDs that are 20 years old that are in like a kind of pristine condition that you go, like, <laughs> what the fuck? But CDs have that range. They have the whole fucking range. And you can hear everything that you put into it as long as your ears aren't and as long as you're not going deaf. You can hear everything you fucking put into it. So, I get why hipsters and fucking collectors and stuff want all these weird old styles. And I get why scenes, especially little DIY scenes like noise and like sketchy punk and stuff... Like, you know, they did vinyl in the 90s because vinyl was dead and vinyl was super cheap. Yeah, now that's why cassettes now because, because cassettes dead and they're but, super cheap. But now cassettes on the rise. CD is the cheapest fucking thing to produce. CD's coming back. So there's no... <laughs> like, CD should... Any, any fucking <laughs> label with, like... Because all these dudes are broke and they're throwing all this money into, like, a fucking tape release. Like, you can do twice as many on a fucking CD. I, I was telling you, Captain Three Leg. Mm-hmm. Um, Captain Three Leg is an amazing grindcore band from Iowa. They've been around for 20 years. One of my favorites. They did a split with Wodge in 2014, which is my number one favorite fucking grindcore band. I fucking love Wodge. And it was supposed to come out on 7 Inch. And there was all these issues with labels and plants and money. And it was ridiculous. And, and then they, and they were like, fuck, we'll just do it on CD. So the, no, 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 no. That was a different thing. But so, but so they, so like I was talking to him and he was like, yeah, so we're just doing it on fucking CD. Cause we don't like, he was like, it's one fourth the money for more copies that sound better, last longer. I can sell for a fairer price. Like more people can get the fucking music and hear it. You have to, like, you know how fucking annoying it is to find a goddamn tape player? It sucks ass. Mm, there's lots of them, but I feel but like you have to, like, you have to, like, you drive have to, to look a, for it. You have to, everyone has a laptop. No That's laptop true. has a cassette player. You have to drive to a goddamn thrift store to get a cassette player. If someone sends you a CD, you can listen to it. Like, if I want to listen to a CD that I just got that comes in the mail, yeah, it is a walk from the fucking foyer of my apartment building to my apartment and then I'm listening to it or into my car and I'm listening to it with a tape if my tape player is bugging out which tape players always do fucking you? break they tend to do 
then it's like, I have to go to thrift stores and find one that isn't bugging out, like, out of these old piles of crap. Or, like, or go order one on eBay. You know, like, it is (laughs) trying to do, and you have to, like, switch cartridges and shit if you get vinyl. No, I mean, you're totally right. I just think it's it's a really metal perspective, though, which I think is interesting. That's true. And you know what? I will say... That the whole analog thing did kind of push me, which people who really love analog, like not to, not to jump on them, but uh, my buddy Jacob Nib, who does Rosemary Heart from DC, gives that like was not giving me shit, but like kind of ribbing me about like he would talk about analog stuff, and I was like, yeah, but like you can get a great digital delay, and he was like, I don't want digital, you're digital, I'm not digital, like. Even when I really thought I was just tabletop and, like, not analog, but that I was, like, doing this, like, yeah. more authentic thing. And then I kind of listened back to my music, and I'm not saying that it's garbage or, and, like, but I was, like, some of it didn't feel as authentic as I wanted it to. And then I, t- I just, like, I got my old drum machines I used to program with on my laptop when I made Grindcore and started doing sh- and that the same kind of stuff I used for like the very first Stress Orphan release and mm-hmm. never again in Stress Orphan and started fucking with it with all my gear and it's it's a lot more for the, so like that's what I'm doing now and now like the amount of people that aren't interested in booking me anymore like I couldn't give a fuck it's really liberating actually can, can we get into <laughs> now cause we're yeah. like reaching the hour
Oscar and Woody Woodenhock. That's when investigators say the boy grabbed his father's four-ton shotgun, loaded a shell, and shot his sister in the face. So, I've got, so, like, you kind of called out at the beginning, uh, me and Rachel Slur, who is Stroker, who I think you had on, or you had Gigi Lohan, I had her on as Gigi Lohan, I'll probably have her on as Stroker, yeah. and it's input, because R.I.P. Gigi Lohan. Listen, nobody's mourning Gigi more than me, I actually <laughs> did a Requiem at the end of the episode, after they broke up. <laughs> I found it really funny that that New Jersey festival uh, put them on. Just booked them without, like, didn't yeah, talk to them. Yeah. Like, they put they them in the lineup, like... six months. Yeah. It's like, we broke up in fucking April, idiot. <laughs> They were like, Gigi Lohan on the mix. And then the, really, and then the dude, I messaged the dude who runs the fest, and I, I don't even know the guy, and I was like, hey, you know Gigi Lohan broke up like so long ago? And he's like, damn, that sucks. I really wanted to see them. I was like, that's not how you get bands on your fucking festival, man. You like, really wanted to see them. How I about was, coming to have seen them? Or, or just... Hitting one of them up. It's really easy. Rachel Slur is Rachel Slur They're everywhere. Literally all three of them spend their entire lives on the internet. You could have reached out to anyone. Anyone. The, but the really funny yeah. thing was, so then he must have like checked my profile. And he goes, hey, you live in Baltimore. Do you know how to get in touch with Dor? I haven't talked oh to him in a while. Oh my God. And I was, and I, I was just like, I was like, no. I mean, so yeah, I know his address. I was like, he's my. People who don't want like, to play shows anymore. Well, not, it's not that he doesn't want to play shows anymore, but like, but I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go, he doesn't live that far from me, but like, I'm not gonna walk 10 fucking minutes, knock on his door, because I don't know his number, and be like, hey, hey door, some guy from New Jersey said he wants to talk to you about playing a festival in Northwest Jersey, like, oh, get, like, that yeah. thing was whole, wholly ridiculous, but, but anyway, back to the point, like you said, um, soon, whenever... We have a structured idea because, you know, Slur, like when we started PRV, Slur uh, wasn't really doing much noise, so she really did vocals and I handled the noise and we only played twice, so I don't know why I'm acting like that was like an era of the band, but... I mean, it's a pretty cool concept of a band, like I'm stoked that you got, like... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it's going to be, it's going to be something that's... the idea of like doing that tape... 
as like the thing. I was like real stoked. Yeah, for depravity label. Because I was pretty excited about. Yeah, because that's a fun. The one that's what I like about the name. Like the name obviously has this tone. Like the gut reaction is fuck you, and I completely understand the gut reaction from hearing that name. But then if you see it. Or you ask any of us, we give you, I mean, it's not, it's, it's about like, you know, it's not centered or it's not, it's not like, cause it's, cause that name is like, would be the purest, lamest name for a fucking regular ass vanilla pudding power electronics. Okay, but, 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 so I remember you guys playing at her house and I guess this was only one of your two shows. Yeah, we did the other one in New Orleans. Neither of us really remember that one. But you guys played at our house, and all of these, like, West Philly PC warriors or whatever showed up at our house getting ready to be pissed. Yeah, and then and they, they were, like... And they all got, like, emotionally affected by it, and were, like, yeah, hugging Rachel yeah, they, afterwards. They were, like, like, me too. Like, like yeah, Eureka like, kept introducing me... To to gay guys who were like hugging me and being like that like because it was legitimately beautiful and like it's just like and I mean I don't know like I kind of that's because me me and Slur I mean like we had a concept and we knew the concept was good and we knew that it was something that hadn't been done before it hadn't necessarily occurred to us that it might really strike a chord because the same shit happened because we like I said we totally. Don't remember the first show, but then we showed up in Dallas. Like we drove to Dallas the next day after the show in New Orleans, and then all these people that had played with us in New Orleans were at the show in Dallas too, because it was this whole tour to get to South right, by Southwest. Right. Five hundred pounds. And people were, who had we had never like not really <laughs> never so like people who live in Philly like and have had problems with slur were like hawking us and be like that was like thank you for well, doing no, that. Well, no, I mean that's where Rachel kept showing. Yeah, I mean that's at the at the Philly show. At the she was just like all of these West Philly girls who hate me kept walking up to me and hugging me and saying thank you. At the yeah, at the uh, that me and Slur kept looking at you like, wait a minute, are we like fucking artists or something? Like it like it took us completely by surprise that it had that kind of effect on on anybody. Like it was very, I mean it was great. Like I, that was. Seriously, some of the best. I mean, like, I think PRP is pretty cool. I'm like, like pretty stoked that you guys are putting a tape out. Yeah, because then if we do cool a ta- if we do a tape, it'll give us like a foundation to you know we can do. St- I mean, the the kind of like Im- emotional and like effort tax involved in doing a PRV set probably means that it's not like we're not going to embark gonna on a tour time. or something. Right, but, but the, saying, there will be the occasional, yeah. At least there's, like, you know, some sort of, it's a good idea. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, so that's something I'm really excited about. And then there's, um, uh, I've got, I did a show last year, the only show I've ever done in Chicago, Club Rectum, that I edited up to come in on a C10, uh, Stress Orphan. That's it's coming funny. out on P.E. Mafia Productions sometime between now and the end of time. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm working on I want to do something big to reintroduce a laptop into my music like we talked about I'm like yeah. I'm doing that now embracing the digital yeah and on top of that um cause I went through I'm sure anyone that listens to this is like aware of my legal spat but I have like a whole renewed oh fuck <laughs> I have a renewed anger um, I wanted to that because I could go like, long, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Like, a, I have to pee really badly, but let's just like quickly dive into that. Um, 
because, yeah, you know, uh, noise after this crucial Baltimore moment. Uh, do you want to touch on that for a second? Yeah, um... I'll post the video in the show notes. Oh, uh, yeah. So, I mean... I've always, I mean, Stress Orphan is, there's not, the lyrics aren't the most understandable thing. They've never been published, and they probably won't be. Um, I have all of them that have been recorded, written down somewhere. Um, but it's very political. Um, it's always been political. I was into... What's up? We're talking Mega represent! <laughs> We're talking about the riots right now. You guys just blew it. This is <laughs> a crucial moment. Well, you can edit out. I'm not going to edit it. Mecca! Most people edit out Mecca anyway. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what does crucial mean? Do you have six? He just you literally is looking at my fucking go home. What's in here? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, we're at the end here. You guys suck. That was amazing. Alright. Okay. That's uh, a little bit. I'm only annoyed because they spilled wine all over the floor in my hand. I'm um, only annoyed because they don't have any cigarettes. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this thing is dead. That was annoying. Um, but, yeah, so I've always been like really politically minded. That's another thing my dad kind of, not pushed on me, but just like presented and that I absorbed. Um... And I heard about, you know, like, you, there's, like, a lot of high-profile black kids being murdered by police officers and pseudo-police officers in the past years, and I like that it's getting a lot of profile, but, you know, I'm not going to go to Missouri. I right. can't just, I can't. And it happened in my fucking backyard. Literally my fucking backyard. Like, I can walk four blocks and see the place where Freddie Gray made eye contact with the police and ran. The start of him getting fucking his spine broken by fucking brutal fucking animals thrown in the back of a fucking van and hospitalized and fucking... Can you the light on in here? Can like... you turn the light on? Yeah. Could you? We can figure it out. We're literally minutes from being done. Yeah, it's like so, it's, it's so close to done. No way you don't even know. All right, cool. That well, It was weird a little bit. Thank it's getting you. dark. All right. This is it, the amount of it. God damn it. I, no, I'm leaving all of this in. I'm going to say we recorded it at football here. <laughs> yeah. Let's do an inspiring intro. Um, but, um, so that, you know, that shit happened, and, and then it started popping off, and I was actually coming back from accepting a job at a liquor store that I immediately lost when that video came out, because my <laughs> boss saw it and decided I'd be a bad representation of his fancy-ass liquor store. Right, 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 of course. Um, and, um, oh, oh yeah. That's Ooh, their fault. Deal with that. that is entirely their fault. Um, Mecca's fault. Yeah, Mecca absolutely did that shit. But um, and and yeah, and and I really my intent was I came home and you could see like five six helicopters out in the air. There's all these crazy reports about like gang members targeting cops that were obviously a complete fucking lie made up by the cops. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to go out and you know it was like there were kids running around bags of shit over their shoulder going nuts. Smoke in the air from burning buildings, glass all over the street. But no one in West Baltimore was getting hurt 
Right. There were no bleeding black kids on the street. There were happy motherfuckers. Yeah, there no, were some concerned no, motherfuckers, no but there was nothing yeah. crazy. And then we were walking down the street, me and my girlfriend, and uh, we saw a fucking just that phalanx of cops that is in the video. And I don't know what, like, hit me, but I was just like, f- like, fuck you. Like, and it's what they don't... Yeah, that video is inspirational. The news doesn't have everything I yell. They also censor my swearing. But, you well, know... Well, if you've got some uncensored clips... Oh, absolutely not. Means. I do not. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I was... But, you know, I'm like, I'm like, how fucking dare you? Like, you don't understand that this is happening because of this. Like, you're... Because of you, yeah. yeah like, this it's it's not just... And it's because of you, and then you're showing up in the worst form of the thing that caused the fucking problem. And the, so... I don't know, that, that, so then, like, so I did this tape, uh, Dog Man, that came out, and a lot of that is, uh, is audio recorded in West Baltimore, and vocals recorded in Vacants in West Baltimore to give it kind of, like, a bigger sound, and that, uh, and that, and Omar, who's the property label, is going to do the PRV release, also in Machismo, and No Dreams, and Rectal Hygienics is the fucking greatest guy. He, uh, yeah. He's he did this amazing little centerfold. It's all these images of people protesting in the Baltimore police badge and the logo, and it's a great tape. But that didn't really necessarily capture exactly what I wanted because a lot of that had been recorded before I went into before I went to jail. Because because you know I got arrested. and I spent three days in jail with no charges. Uh, last twenty four hours were in solitary confinement in Gen Pop. Um, God, I gotta pee so bad. How close are we? It was so close. All right. Um, and, uh, so my next thing that I'm doing is, uh, gonna be like a full album that's more specifically inspired by how fucking angry and, like, disenfranchised I fucking feel after, like, all that fucking misery and, like, living in this fucking city for so long. Hell yeah. I mean, I think, like, sort of trying to represent Baltimore or represent, like, what you've experienced in Baltimore is, like, a pretty... This is the one thing. I love a lot of artists from Baltimore, but there's not a lot of people that are like me from... There's not a lot of aggressive... Angry, opinionated music coming out of Baltimore, and I think that's a shame because there's a lot of fucking opinions to be had about yeah, Baltimore. There's a lot of fuel for the fire if you want. There really, like, there really is, like, you know, like some of the angriest bands come out of the like the weirdest fucking places, and then you have these spots like fucking, like fucking Baltimore and like fucking Cleveland. Like, there's like not. As much just fucking like, resigned artistic. I mean, that's really what it is. Like, if you're, and that's, I don't want, I don't want to shit on any of my friends that went from like noise to techno because I have a lot of friends that make sick techno. But that's just something. Like, I know dudes that used to like scream some real shit and and now make drum machines. And all right, I think there couldn't be a better name to leave that on. <laughs> all right, thank you so much. Eric. No problem. That was really good. Mr. McStephan, what was your reaction this week uh, to the news of the death of a second British soldier? Well, the, my reaction as a member of the IRA would be uh, another fatal casualty for Crown Forces, a certain amount of 
satisfaction. But on the personal level, of course,
obviously check out the website. That's tastyourempirepodcast.com. If you want to be on the show, you can email me at interviewplz at tastevampirepodcast.com. If you'd like your music to be played in a show, you can email me at music at tastevampirepodcast.com. And if you'd like to bitch, you can email me at concerns at tastevampirepodcast.com. Um, also, my recommendations for this week. Um, so the first first thing I want to recommend is uh, me and... Eric, at the beginning of this interview, talked about the band um, Marat and the album Float Away with the Friday Night Gods that came out in 2002. The first track on that album was called Float Away, and it really is, like, a pretty awesome song in, like, sort of, like, a cheesy dad rock kind of way, but, like, like good dad rock? I don't know. You should check it out. Um, and... It, it's like, it actually is like a super, super good representation of being in a place that isn't where you live or is foreign in some sort of crucial way and feeling just sort of like you don't exist or are invisible. Um, and yeah, I think it's like a pretty, pretty on the nose um, sort of artistic depiction of that kind of feeling and was like super super effective for me um the second song I'd like to recommend is a Skeeter Davis song called Get Along Without You Now um I suppose it's a cover of a 1956 song by Patience and Prudence um I heard it during a drunk Saturday night keeping it country music playing thing that happened last weekend. Um, I think her voice is like really cool and strange and um, I definitely think you should listen to it. It's like, you know, pretty, pretty posy independent message of a song. Um, and then also uh, the last thing I wanted to recommend is sort of a, a two part recommendation. So um, I was riding the Greyhound at 5.15 a.m. this morning, and um, I've recently been listening to this other podcast called the Tabs Out Cassette Podcast, and I was listening to episode 74, Um, and that's worth checking out. It's basically like just like they play a bunch of tapes that they have, so I mean, in many cases, these are sort of an opportunity to get to listen to something that is... um, limited edition analog format not necessarily posted anywhere online so you should definitely check that out in general that podcast is called tabs out cassette podcast but specifically um i woke up in wilmington briefly and this part of a release by somebody named v sinclair called the cloistered estuary which i believe came out this july um was playing when I was waking up and it's just sort of like very um ambient and abstract but was sort of very matching to disoriented bus wake up in Wilmington Delaware for me um so as usual with the electronic stuff I have no idea if it's actually good or not but probably worth a listen um all right 
subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, etc. If you wanted to review me in iTunes, that would be cool. Obviously, none of you ever do. Um, and yeah, got a ton of interviews scheduled for the next couple of weeks. So they should be continuing to come pretty regularly. Um, thanks so much for listening. Till next week, I'm Rosie, and this has been another episode of Taste Vampire. <laughs>